Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alamin. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ahli bayti ya tayyibin tahirin. Assalamualaikum warahmatullah. Inshallah you're all doing well. Welcome to our session on Islamic studies. Where we'll be discussing two paths. The Hausa or traditional Islamic seminary and Western style academia. I would like to thank all of those who are putting in hard work behind the scenes both today and leading up till today ensuring that this amazing program would become a reality and would especially like to thank Sayyid Jawad Al-Qazwini for his including us visionary efforts. As Sayyid Jawad mentioned in his welcome address, one of the aims of this conference in creating such a diverse space was to break down any barriers set up by racism or tribalism or ethnocentrism or any other ism that divides our community. We're all here for one purpose, to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through honoring his honorable and noble servant, Amir al-Mu'mineen, Imam Ali alayhi salam. May Allah grant us all the honor of his ziyarah in this life and the blessing of his shifa'a in the next. So in the spirit of reform and the spirit of honoring this voice of human justice, I would like to recognize that many of us today are listening or watching from land that was stolen from indigenous communities. I come to you from the land of the Yokuts people. We honor those who cared for this land long before we ever arrived. My name is Reza Nikumanish, and I have the honor of serving as the executive director of the Islamic Cultural Center of Fresno. Additionally, I serve on many boards and councils dedicated to racial and economic justice. One of those many roles that I'm honored to serve in is on the executive committee of the Shia Muslim Council of Southern California. Alhamdulillah, we are a people of a faith, of a religion, of a community which boldly, clearly, and directly guides us and commands us to seek knowledge, to continually strive to learn. Allah states in the Holy Quran in Surah At-Tawbah, verse 122, that during military expeditions to protect Muslims and Islam, quote, there should separate from every division of them a group remaining back to devote themselves to the studies of religion and warn the people when they return that thus they may learn to guard themselves. And the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave. It's clear that in our faith, we are meant to seek knowledge. We are joined by two lifelong examples of dedicating one's life to seeking knowledge and the pursuit of greater understanding. I will introduce these two esteemed gentlemen, and then we will engage this important subject matter. First of all, let me introduce Sayyid Hadi Al-Qazwini. Sayyid Hadi is a scholar and an intellectual historian of Islam. MashaAllah, he has advanced training in traditional Islamic seminary in Qom, and academically, he received his master's in Islamic studies and leadership from Bayan Claremont, an American Muslim academic seminary in Southern California. And now he's just about to complete his PhD work at the University of Southern California, where his research begins in classical Islamic theological and legal thought and extends into bringing this rich intellectual legacy into conversation with Muslim experiences in and with modernity. We are additionally honored to introduce Dr. Abbas Qadim. Dr. Qadim leads the Atlantic Council Iraq Initiative. 
He previously held senior government affairs position at the Iraqi embassy in DC. He was a senior foreign policy fellows at John Hopkins University. He served as an assistant professor of national security affairs and Middle Eastern studies at the Naval Postgraduate St um, School. And he was a visiting professor at Stanford, mashallah. Among his writings, two of which are directly related to our conversation today, was his book, The Hausa, Under Siege, Studies in the Ba'ath Party Archive, and also his PhD dissertation, where he delves into the scholarship of Sheikh Mufid and other scholarly giants who worked to establish the seminary systems as we know it today in the Shia world, entitled Politics and Theology of Imami Shi'i, Shi'ism in the 5th century Hijri, Baghdad. It's a mouthful, it's tremendous study. These are two scholarly giants among us living today. I'm so honored to welcome both of you. Salamu alaikum. Alaikum salam, thank you. My first question is for Sayyid Hadi. There is a great benefit to all learning, and we believe that Allah surely blesses and raises the honor of those who strive for knowledge and understanding. Being that you have extensive studies both in the Hawza and in academia, can you please share with our audience some of the main similarities and some of the differences in these two paths of learning? You have five minutes for this response, inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Uh, first of all, I'd like to express my gratitude to Sayyid Jawad al-Qazwini and to the entire team of organizers, everyone who has worked tirelessly to put this fantastic conference together. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all uh, for uh, all of your efforts and all of your work. Uh, it's truly a pleasure for me uh, to be uh, joining you in this conference and on this panel, especially with the esteemed uh, Dr. Abbas Kalbam. Uh, and you, Haj Reza. Uh, to answer your question um, about uh, the similarities and differences between the Hausa or the seminary and uh, academic approaches to the study of Islam, um, you know, I, I like the way that you frame the question uh, thinking about similarities and differences. Because I think if we think about some of the similarities between these two educational systems and educational approaches to the study of Islam and Muslims, uh, it really helps us avoid some of the, uh, sometimes the cynicism and the mistrust that may be there uh, lurking beneath or sometimes even expressed, um, you know, externally, uh, outwardly, publicly between these two educational systems and those who participate um, in, in these systems of, of knowledge production. Uh, so when we look at uh, similarities, I think there are a lot of similarities. Uh, but maybe I'd like to point uh, out to uh, point out three, I think, uh, important similarities between the two systems. Um, one, I would say, is that both the seminary, the Hausa, and uh, academia, um, you know, both are committed to an appreciation of uh, uh, sort of and an, an a real commitment to knowledge production. A lot of time, a lot of effort is given uh, by scholars, by practitioners in both the, the seminary setting and the academic settings to uh, a commitment to knowledge production. Knowledge is taken seriously in both the seminary and in academia. So this is one similarity, an important similarity. The second, which is related, is that both systems uh, can be very rigorous and very challenging 
and also very intellectually stimulating and rewarding. You know, when I think about my own experiences in both the seminary in Qom uh, and here, you know, in, in, in academia, graduate studies, uh, mm-hmm. I, I look at my own examples and I think of how rigorous and challenging both uh, educational systems were for me. And at the same time, how rewarding both were. Uh, so this is really an important similarity that we have to keep in mind as well, that both are you know, rigorous, they're challenging, and they are rewarding and stimulating you know, intellectually. And third, the third similarity is that both engage in a type of peer review process. That is, the degrees that are granted um, you know, in universities and colleges um, and other educational institutes, academic uh, educational institutions, uh, the ijazas or the licenses, uh, that are given uh, in the seminary to produce and to continue to produce and, and transmit knowledge, um, you know, publications, debates, these are all formed, uh, you know, they are important aspects of each of these educational systems. It's not just uh, uh, scholars independently working to produce knowledge and to uh, translate and transmit knowledge, but it's really a peer review process uh, in both of those. So those are sort of the main similarities, I would say. As far as differences, and I'll try to be uh, you know, concise, inshallah, so I can stick to the time that I've been allotted. Um, the differences really are in the method and the approaches and the types of questions that are asked in each setting. So I'll give you a quick example. If we look at the Hausa or the seminary system, the seminary system usually engages in what is known in sort of the academic study of religion, uh, as, as the insider approach to the study of religion or the study of Islam. And basically what this means, I'll give you an example. You know, many seminary students, they devote a lot of time and effort to the study of theology, discussing God's existence, arguments for God's existence, proof for God's existence, discussions related to God's attributes, our relationship to God. They do so from an insider uh, perspective or an insider approach to the study of theology, which means that they study theology for the sake of better understanding their own relationship with God. They study law and legal theory for better being able uh, to uh, implement and observe one's responsibility before God. So this is sort of the insider approach. How scholars and students in the seminary approach the study of theology, the study of law, the study of Quran, the study of hadith, all of these things. Academia, on the other hand, takes a different approach, largely takes a different approach. Of course, Islam can be studied from various angles and in various disciplines. So it can be studied from the humanities perspective or a social science perspective. It can be studied within those disciplines you know, from a sociological or anthropological or political theory uh, perspective. It can be studied from the perspective of history or religious studies. So there are many angles, many disciplines that religion and Islam in particular can be studied from an academic point of view. But altogether, the approach that is taken is the outsider approach, what is known as the outsider approach. So one may examine certain theological or legal discourses, but does so in their historical context to understand their development in their historical or their socio-political context. So, for example, an example of this approach would be 
to look at the titles of the works that were produced by Imami Shi'i theologians and jurists in 5th century Baghdad, you know, something that uh, Dr. Abbas Kalam is an expert in. It's also an area that I work in, in my academic study of, of Imami Shi'ism. So one looks at the titles of works that were produced by, for example, al-Sheikh al-Mufid, al-Sharif al-Murtaba, al-Sheikh al-Tusi, other major scholars in a particular time and a particular space to try to figure out what was going on. What were the important topics of conversation and debate during that time and in that place? And that kind of gives us an idea of what was happening on the social or political or economic uh, spheres. And so the approaches and the questions that are asked form the major difference between the Hausa approach to studying Islam and the academic approach to studying Islam. Thank you, Sayyid Hadi. I, I appreciate so much of what you shared. Uh, I think uh, a takeaway was that whether you're taking an insider approach to studying theology or you're looking at it from a historical or geopolitical approach to understanding how faiths developed, either way, they're both taken very seriously in both uh, sectors, and I appreciate that. My next question is for Dr. Faden. Though you formally haven't partaken in study in the Hausa, you spent 25 years of your life in the proximity, basically a stone's throw away from the seminary in Najaf. That undoubtedly had to have drawn you into conversations with and made your life one surrounded by seminarians, which clearly had to leave a mark on your approach to education and your understanding. Additionally, you've spent your life in academia. So my question for you is, Dr. Qadam, what do you see as the major similarities between and the differences in one, how one studies Islam both in academia and in the Hausa? And you have five minutes for your response. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, the invitation. I would like to thank uh, everyone who uh, worked very hard and diligently to get this uh, uh, conference uh, going and it's been wonderful and very impressive of uh, what has been accomplished so far and we look forward to the rest of it. Uh, uh, it's uh, an honor to be on this panel and uh, I, um, I'm i glad that you um, asked the Sayyid first. Uh, he has uh, captured um, uh, everything in a beautiful way so uh, almost got my all my work for me. Uh, I would like to uh, uh, to, to uh, basically um, look at it from a different way. I mean, I uh, agree with everything that was said, and if I may add to it, uh, one one difference, or let's look at the similarity first. And both of them, as as the Sayyid mentioned, uh, they do. Uh, okay, is there a problem with the sound? Uh, no, I, I believe that we should be okay. I do hear you well. Okay, because I uh, I got, uh, for some reason, there is some... Uh, yeah, you can um, put that down uh, to the side because I do hear you fine. Okay, yeah. Uh, I've, I've been getting messages that no one can hear. So that's, that's again, let's go back to, uh, to our trail of thought. So again, uh, the the similarities, uh, as as uh, Sayyid Mazwini mentioned, basically what we have here is um, two uh, different endeavors of seeking knowledge. Uh, the uh, 
both of them are very rigorous as as uh, we just heard both of them are interested in achieving excellence at the best levels uh, and both of them are uh, undertaken with a great level of inquisitiveness and interest and with the highest um, curiosity to seek knowledge uh, through the cutting edge uh, kind of, of methodology and, and studies. Uh, both of them examine uh, the, uh, the questions and the issues and the text and all of that, wrestle with the, with, with the, the material that is being studied. Uh, but certainly, I, I think the differences are in the, in the purpose and also in the setting of the of the studies in addition to what um, what uh, my my brother just mentioned uh, uh, and and these are important elements uh, so i may add to them this idea of what purpose do you go into the uh, each one of them you go into the university to get a degree and uh, pursue a career and uh, get a job uh, basically there is a teleology to your to your endeavor uh, you you enter and you pay money and tuition etc and secure whatever way method to pay it and then you are expected to uh, graduate within a number of years to pursue a career what we have in uh, in the um, in, in the seminary uh, in the house it's a different story um, you are not going there for the sake of getting a degree uh, or uh, of uh, graduating in some form or shape. Uh, you, you will find counterparts to it in the West where we go to divinity school and one could pursue a bachelor degree or a master degree or even a PhD. Uh, but it is different in the, in the Hausa. There you study for your own self-gratification. There isn't really a, um, any way of... Uh, uh, sense of, of measurement of, of uh, how much knowledge you attain. You are the judge of how far you are going and whether or not you are satisfied with your progress, with your pace, and with your, uh, with, with your work, and uh, you set your own goals and pursue them. That is a great difference between the two in the setting itself and in the, in the purpose. Uh, one does not go to the, to the house uh, to get a job or to get a degree. One goes to the house uh, to learn and to uh, gain expertise. And then, uh, yes, you might pursue a, a or, or have a goal and an ambition to become an accomplished scholar. But that is not, uh, that's completely different uh, world than what we see in the academic world. Uh, you know, it's, in the academic world, it's very much canonized. Um, it is measured by steps and paces and, 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 and uh, a time measure for it. Uh, the, the measure for, uh, for, for the seminary school is really to go uh, and measure yourself by how much knowledge and how much you still have to get uh, uh, attained in order to uh, distinguish yourself. Uh, one cannot call himself a religious scholar. Uh, uh, by simply passing an exam or spending a number of years of study, uh, far from it, uh, you have to uh, to prove yourself uh, in a um, in an unmeasurable way, uh, in in a way that is more fluid, more arbitrary, if you will, 
to the outsider. Yes, there are rules inside for the people who are inside the house they know how to, but for the outsider, when you look at it, it looks more arbitrary, more uh, fluid, more loose uh, as a system. Now, uh, recently there have been attempts to canonize the seminary studies to probably, especially in Iran, I think, uh, still Najaf is not pursuing that. Uh, uh, but it is uh, there is this sense of following the old uh, system of Islamic education when students thousand and or fourteen hundred years ago used to go to the mosque or to the house of the scholar or anywhere else in, in town in any corner of, of a building and you study with that teacher and um, for no no purpose other than just learning from that person and when you finish with everything he is teaching you can go to the next teacher and so on or you could study with more than one teacher at the same time and then uh, you there are no no credits to collect or transcript to to really put under your belt all what you have is how much you can or how can you prove yourself uh, among your peers uh, that is uh, the, the purpose and the setting i think with the university because again it is it is a uh, it is for the purpose of getting uh, knowledge is not the end but it is a means to an end to get a job to build a career to distinguish yourself whatever you want while uh, it is not about that in the house it's about knowledge is the end uh, and uh, it is uh, one is not in a hurry to to uh, get that paper in their hand and say I made it I graduated I attained all the knowledge I need now I can go and work with it um, and and that is again uh, it's it's different philosophy for each one of them and that difference of philosophy is stemming from the purpose of why one goes into either way of education. And also that philosophy dictates what kind of a setting you have. Um, I don't know if I finished my time, but if I if I can uh, just give an example, take a look at someone like a grand Ayatollah Sistani. Okay. You know, now in, in, in uh, he, he went to, uh, to Iraq uh, in the, um, you know, at an early age and he spent the time needed and in about uh, beginning of the 1960s, he attained the level of a mujtahid. Um, and from the 1960s all the way until 1992, uh, he did nothing more than just sitting and uh, uh, serving as a as a, a, a student with his mentor, Grand Ayatollah Khoui, uh, patiently teaching maybe a class when Sayyid Khoui is not there or leading the prayer, but mainly taking more classes from his, his mentor in fiqh and in usul. Uh, you know, give me one PhD holder who would sit with his dissertation advisor for 30 years after getting the PhD for the sake of learning more from him. Uh, with that patience and, and, and just keep denying completely every opportunity to go and set his own path. Uh, I think in that story of Grand Ayatollah Sistani, it gives us all of the difference between the philosophy, the purpose and the end game for everyone who goes to which side of, of the, uh, the education.
Thank you, Dr. Qadim. This was a, an amazing way to transition into our next set of questions. You talked a lot about approaches and outcomes. Um, so we understand that the Hausa studies and academic studies, though may one, one might want something very similar as an outcome, they have two different trajectories or paths, and therefore they have inherently different approaches, which guides us to our next question. The theme of this conference is reform. Imam Ali and reform. How can we move forward? How can we progress as a community? That theme of reform insinuates that we, not only as individuals, but as a religious community, we are capable of reform. Reform is something that we should be continually striving and working to attain. So the next question is for Dr. Qadim, uh, a three-minute response, and I know that's going to be difficult. What are some lessons that the Hausa systems throughout the Islamic world can learn from Western-style academic studies, particularly when it comes to the study of Islam? Well, uh, a couple of things, uh, actually, uh, and they really can be taken from the, the, the presentations that both of us have made, but the differences and, similar, and, and similarities. I think this will be more in the differences. You could learn from what is different on the other setting. I think the Hausa, uh, with the passage of time, I mean, when both of us have studied the history of Shiism from the classical age until now, and probably uh, Sayyid Qazwini would, would agree with me when I say that the Hausa studies and the seminaries have narrowed their focus with the passage of time. If you look at the preoccupations of older scholars from a thousand years ago, or 12, 1300 years ago, with the scholars today, uh, the Hausa is uh, focusing heavily on the uh, jurisprudence and the principles of jurisprudence, that's fiqh and usul. Uh, there are other uh, issues studied in it. Uh, maybe uh, you could find, you know, depends on who allows you to study philosophy, maybe others. But everything else, in addition to the fiqh and usul, will be studied under the tools the scholar would like to learn or would have to learn. Uh, if, and and uh, these are not for the purpose of getting uh, expertise in them, but more learning them to advance your expertise in the two major uh, differences. So I think the seminary can learn from the uh, modern style, Western style university type is by injecting some breadth uh, in uh, the, uh, the knowledge and, uh, and the sciences that the student would uh, would study and would be exposed to rather than going into that tunnel vision of going towards uh, the, the fiqh and, and usul al-fiqh. Uh, the other uh, issue uh, is basically to uh, uh, look at uh, other methodologies and other advances even in the sciences that are being studied. I think a lot of what is being studied is uh, in a way uh, outdated uh, and, and needs to be to be brought to, to you know whether it's the logic studies whether it is even uh, the, the Arabic grammar and Arabic sciences uh, they need to look at different measures there have been uh, cases where some people in the house that tried to uh, and, and to a, a certain sense sometimes they succeeded very well in developing the scholastic uh, uh, work and the pedagogical work. Um, uh, certainly, 
um, you know, one could probably highlight a very uh, great um, um, update that we've seen with Ayatollah Muhammad Baqir al-Sadr, who uh, for the first time introduced a, uh, a textbook and and usul with his uh, with his book on on usul the halaqat al-thalatha um, before that he says it right there in the in the introduction that all of our textbooks before are books written by scholars for scholars and the student is lost when he studies kifayat al-usul or other great uh, books from great scholars because then you will need uh, uh, commentaries on these and commentaries on the commentaries and still it is scholars writing for scholars and the student is lost and you are at the mercy of who explains it to you i think a lot of these will are, are still there the textbook culture and the educational culture can be there also the measure uh, especially now if you look at iraq maybe iran is less but look at iraq and i would argue even to a certain extent in iran in iran uh, who is to tell uh, this is a, a faqih or this is an ayatollah or this is an accomplished scholar? Uh, it is really uh, completely arbitrary and, and, and that confuses the, uh, the, the people who are relying on, on these kinds of measures. It's easy for me now to hire somebody who is a graduate of any discipline from a university. I know where he studied, what kind of grades he got. And, and or she and and then we uh, we can measure the attainment of knowledge uh, in that person by based on which university what they studied and what kind of grades they got and how how uh, what setting they did and the house it's very hard it's there isn't really that kind of tracking of what so it really boils down to what other people say about this person so the uh, introducing measures uh, to to knowledge and more uh, track ability, if you will, or, or ability to track um, the, uh, the, the level of education, uh, especially when it comes to uh, people who are trying to make use of the expertise and knowledge of this person. If I want to ask someone or if, uh, a question or if I have, if I need to, uh, to, to attain, attend, attend a, a speech or something like that, I need to know what the level of, of education this person has. Uh, there you. is a lot of complaints, especially outside the house, that this is not really measurable. So these two things, and I'm sure that um, there are others that I will uh, I will leave for Sayyid to to highlight. Thank you, Dr. Qadim. Uh, I appreciate that you talked about uh, a breadth of information, a breadth of knowledge. You know, hopefully making our seminarians more well-rounded is an amazing thing that we can move towards. Our time is running short. We have another question and then we're going to wrap it up. Um, this one is for Sayyid Hadi. On the other side of the coin, what are some of the lessons that Western style academic Islamic studies programs, including the ones such as the academic Islamic seminary that both you and I are graduates of, could learn from the Hausa systems in the Muslim world? You have three minutes, inshallah. Sure. Thank you, thank you for for uh, that that question. Um, again, I think to uh, uh, sort of uh, piggyback off of uh, Dr. Abbas Kadam, uh, his excellent presentation. I think that uh, you know there there's a lot of room for improvement, uh, of course. Um, and as he said uh, very well, uh, you know those who are familiar with the history of these institutions of learning see that they have developed in, in various ways over, over the course of history. 
Um, and in fact, even when we look at the academic study of, of Islam now, uh, or academic, you know, academia in general in, uh, you know, North America, especially uh, in Europe and other parts, uh, many of the most prestigious universities now began as uh, educational institutions that were strongly affiliated with or exclusively, you know, teaching, you know, religious traditions or affiliated with various religious traditions um, and, and, and then developed over time, some of them um, you know, going completely into uh, secular fields of knowledge, others retaining a portion of, you know, divinity schools or other sort of uh, relations with, um, uh, with, um, uh, you know, religious traditions. I would say, um, you know, what uh, academia in general can learn from the Hausa is, is, is two things, really. One is this issue of mentorship. And Dr. Uh, you know, Abbas Kaldam said this very beautifully. You know, he gave the example of these two high profile scholars in the seminary, in the Shi'i world, religious leaders who, uh, uh, you know, continued uh, their journey of knowledge uh, uh, after, after, you know, uh, uh, for, for a long period of time, for decades. And so there's this, this, this uh, idea of mentorship uh, that, you know, is uh, prevalent there in the, in the Hausa this special relationship that develops between the educator and the student, between the teacher and the student. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to experience this myself with my own Hausa, uh, you know, uh, uh, professors and my own Hausa teachers, whereby it was not just me attending class, gaining information, you know, maybe asking a few questions and then moving on, but there was a strong bond, a strong relationship that forged between educator and student. Uh, you know, in one one example, I you know I had the privilege and honor of studying legal theory, usul al-fiqh, or principles of jurisprudence, the advanced level with Ayatollah Sayyid Munir al-Khabbaz, an excellent scholar in the in the seminary of Qom. And I remember that um, you know he himself actually began the initiative of having me and a group of other students from that class actually go to his home. Uh, beginning once, uh, you know, a week in the evenings, we would go and we would spend a couple of hours with him, you know, in debate and discussion. And then it, it turned actually into two sessions a week. Um, you know, um, uh, uh, this does not normally happen in, in, in academia. Um, the relationship between professor and student is one that is strictly professional, um, even if the two may know each other personally. Uh, of course, this is not always the case. Again, going back to my own experiences, I've, I've been privileged and blessed to have uh, educators in, you know, in, in my um, uh, academic studies who have also been mentors to me. But I think that in general, you know, this is something that academia can learn from the Hausa. And second, um, very quickly, is I think academia uh, can really learn uh, by appreciating the li lifelong commitments of Hausa scholars and the holistic approach that Hausa scholars and students have to Islamic uh, knowledge. Um, you know, many spend decades, sometimes their entire lives, you know, pursuing Islamic knowledge uh, and doing so with absolute dedication and sincerity. And I think that that's something that academia can learn from um, you know, in, in appreciating those lifelong commitments and sort of the holistic, what we would call in academia, the interdisciplinary. You know, it's true that um, many students focus on jurisprudence or legal theory, usul al-fiqh and fiqh now, but most students, they begin their Hausa education by, uh, uh, you know, being exposed to at various levels, 
of a range of Islamic disciplines. Um, whereas in academia, uh, in most cases, uh, most who study Islam and Muslims don't necessarily do so from an interdisciplinary uh, perspective, but really focusing on one discipline. So those are, I think, two areas that uh, academia can definitely learn from the seminary system, from the Hawza. Thank you, Sayyid. You know, we, we learned so much about both systems of understanding and education, academia and Hawza, both which bring so much blessing and wealth of knowledge to our community. I want to, again, thank both of our esteemed panelists, Dr. Abbas Qadim and Sayyid Hadi Khazwini. I want to thank everybody involved in every aspect of this amazing program. I don't know everybody involved, but I know two unsung heroes. Number one, Sayyid Mahdi Diyad-Din, who has been very involved in, in making sure that this all moves smoothly. And also Sayyid Muhammad Radha, who was an amazing MC for all of our panels throughout the day. Please, please, we understood and we spoke a lot about methods of study, paths of study. I think it's in my humble opinion from listening to both Sayyid Hadi and Dr. Qadim that probably the best, if one has the ability to do so, is to do both of them, to spend some time in academia and some time in the Hausa for the betterment of the entire community. And whatever path one takes, I think we can all agree that striving, struggling, sacrificing, seeking knowledge, searching for truth, delving into the wisdom of those uh, who laid out their lives to expose truths, to highlight understanding, Allah blesses all such efforts. And there's nothing more worthy of striving for than knowledge as we leave we remind you of the beautiful riwayat of Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam as we celebrate his life who said, knowledge is better than wealth for while you have to protect your wealth, knowledge protects you. May we all live out this ideal in our own lives. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you.